Is that on? Yeah. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Hope everyone had a Merry Christmas. Um, Christmas is great, but sometimes when you get to the day after, you can be almost like, whew, like you've just ran and ran and ran and been so many good things. That sometimes it can be a day that you just need to go curl up on the couch. Um, so. so you guys have been talking about um, the Jesus of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. And I've been talking with Trey, and it's been, it sounds like it's been a great um, series. And uh, when he asked me to do this Sunday, I was very excited because the, whenever I watched any of the Christmas carols or anything like that, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, the ghost of Christmas future, was always my favorite, partly because he was, like, the mean guy, like, the, the guy that uh, was tough. And actually, in most of them, he hardly even ever says anything. He's like the Grim Reaper kind of guy, and he just kind of walks in and points and shows uh, um, Scrooge all these things. Um, And the things that he shows Scrooge are horrible. Um, Some of the things he shows him is a bunch of people talking about this rich man who died and no one loves him and that no one's going to go to his funeral unless there's lunch. That's one of the things he talks about. How horrible is that? No one's going to go to his funeral unless there's lunch. Then he goes and he sees um, Tiny Tim's family and they're mourning because Tiny Tim has passed away and all of their friends and neighbors are there trying to comfort them. But it's so sad because Tiny Tim has passed away. And then he ends up out of the graveyard and he finds out who that horrible person is that no one's going to his funeral unless there's lunch. And it's him. He finds out that he's going to die alone and everyone's going to hate him. And it's just a horrible thing. When I think about it that way, at first I thought, wow, that's my favorite part because the the ghost is cool. But then as I read it again and thought about it, that's horrible. That is a horrible, hopeless part of the story. And it's the part that he wakes up and he's like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be hopeless. I don't want to be alone. And then as I thought about the Christmas time that we've been in, the Advent time we've been in, I brought in, this is our family's Advent calendar. It's pretty simple. It's just a bunch of boxes, and um, it's got we put some verses in there so we can read the Christmas story leading up. I don't know if you guys have Advent calendars in your family. When I was growing up, we had one that we pinned these things on the tree, and it looked like you decorated the tree. And um, but growing up, Advent was an important thing to me, and partly it was because it built this anticipation for Jesus coming the whole month waiting for Jesus to come, we would think about him and think about him and talk about him. And in the church I grew up in, we did the old school Advent wreath every Sunday with the purple calendar, or the purple candles and the pink candle. And every week it was like, we're getting closer to Jesus. We're getting closer to Jesus. We're getting closer to Jesus. And the thing is, that's entirely different than the story of Christmas yet to come. Because that's all about hope. 
It's, he's coming. Our hope is coming. Our hope is coming. And you may think, well, why is that all about hope? It's just a baby coming. Well, if we look in Psalm 14, verse 3, once again, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna sound very hopeful. It says, the Lord looks down from, oh, sorry, verse 2, looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is anyone there who understands, anyone who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? Are, they, are all the evil, <clears throat> are the evildoers, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? That doesn't sound very hopeful. The Lord tells us in, in Psalm 14 that we're all without hope, basically, that we're, we've all turned aside. Uh, Paul says it differently in Romans, in this passage you guys may know. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what is it that makes Advent, waiting for Jesus, this waiting, this anticipation, hopeful? If you turn to John, I'm sorry, I know I'm all over the place and you don't have to turn there if you... In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is actually as Jesus is older. But John the Baptist sees him coming And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is amazing hope in Jesus because we are all sinners, but he has come to take away the sin of the world. There is no more hope than that, that we need something and he's bringing it. And to me, that is incredible. That is awesome. He is hope for the hopeless. And so Advent is all about preparing. And the Jews had been preparing for Messiah since the moment we sinned in the Garden of Eden. The Jews had been preparing because God had promised that he would send someone to fix the mess they caused. And so from the very beginning... Until Jesus was born, they had been preparing and waiting and building up this anticipation. And now he's come. And Trey talked last week about that he came and that he's the the Christ of our present. And what have we gotten out of it? We've gotten salvation. We're saved from our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I think sometimes, just like with Christmas coming, or I was talking, telling some other people, my family just recently went to Disney World, whenever there's something you wait for, and you build up this anticipation, and you hope for it, that when it comes, it's awesome, and when you get it, it's awesome, but then it begins to fade, and you lose 
the joy. You lose the desire. You lose the anticipation of what you were waiting for. And when you finally discovered it, how awesome it was. And sometimes that can be how it is with Jesus. We see what Jesus has done in the past, and we see what Jesus did in our present, and that was incredible, and it changes our lives. But then sometimes in the midst of our lives, we kind of lose the joy and lose the hope and forget what Jesus is going to do in the future. And the amazing thing is, is that in the future, the things that Jesus are going to do is filled with even more hope and that we should be waiting now with even more anticipation of what Jesus will do in the future than what Jesus has already done in the past. Um, We're going to stay in the book of Revelation. Uh, So if you want to turn there, um, we're going to look briefly at Revelation 19 through 22. There's a lot there. We're not even going to come close to reading it all. We're just going to look at some of the pictures it tells us of what Jesus is going to be like when he comes back. And I hope that you see, I hope that you see the hope in in this. In a, starting in Revelation 19, in verse 6, it says this, I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. That'd be a cool voice to have, wouldn't it? If when you spoke, it sounded like a great multitude, like mighty waters and the sound of peals of thunder. That'd be a cool voice to have. And it cried out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It has granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, pure and white. Basically, this is an announcement. It's a wedding announcement. It says, the, the groom has come. The wedding is on. We're going to have a celebration. And I don't know if you know, under, haven't heard this picture before, but that Christ is the groom and we, the church, are the bride now, I know for some of us guys, that's kind of hard for us to get our head around because we've never like been bride material. <laughs> you know, It's not like we were picking out dresses, and when we got married, it's not like we were like all interested in the flower arrangements and stuff like that. You know? So getting our head around this bride concept is kind of sometimes hard for us guys. But for you ladies, I think no matter how old you are, I know my four-year-old daughter is constantly putting on a veil and constantly pretending to be married because it's something that you hope for. It's something that you envision being the bride, being dressed in white, pure. And that's the picture that Christ, that the scriptures tell us here. There'll be a day 
when Christ comes back and says, you're ready. I'm here. Let's, let's be together. And there will be a huge celebration. And after that, we will live just like bride and groom in an intimate relationship with Christ for all of eternity. You know, when, when you take wedding vows, it says, till death do us part. In this wedding vow, in this eternity, there is no till death do us part. We are together forever with someone who loves us more than anything. With someone who looks at us and says that we should be clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. That is incredible. Christ is currently pursuing us and one day he will come back and make us his bride. That, that's incredible to me. But I want us to note verse 7. It says, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, that's the church, has made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. Are we ready? If Jesus came right now and said, I'm here, let's celebrate. Are we ready for that? There's a story in Matthew that I'll skim, that I'll just remind us of. Jesus tells a story of these ten virgins. Does anyone remember that story? Basically, ten virgins went out, and this was how weddings worked in um, in uh, in Jerusalem. They would the 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 potential brides would be prepared, and their bridegroom could come at any moment, any time. He would be off working or whatever he was doing, but then he could come and claim his bride at any time. And it said that they were out there waiting through the night and they had these lamps that were filled with oil and that some of them brought extra oil so that they could just wait and be prepared for when the the groom came. But others forgot. And so their lamps were going out and then they had to go back and get more oil. And when they went back, the groom came. The grooms came. And the groom came and he invited them in and he started the feast And then the others came back and said, hey, wait, we're here now. Let us in. And the groom said, we're started. You weren't prepared. You weren't ready. And I guess I just would ask us, I know that we've all, most of us have accepted Jesus and that we love Jesus, but are we preparing for him to come? Are we ready for him to be here today, right now? The other picture that we see in Revelation is an entirely different picture. It goes almost immediately from this picture of a, bra- of a groom lovingly coming to embrace his bride and almost turns immediately to this weird seemingly almost grotesque picture. 
In verse 11, 19 verse 11, it says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. The one sitting on it is Christ. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I'm convinced that God does things for a reason. And I'm convinced that though this story seems like it might not fit, that it does. Because just as I said in the last image of Christ, that sometimes guys don't understand being the groom, or being the bride, I think God immediately turns around and tells a story, tells, shows an image of who Christ is that guys do get. Guys get going to battle for something that is good. Guys do get standing up for what is right. And we understand, in sometimes in bad ways, this picture of war and blood and fighting. But Christ does it for what is true and righteous, it says. Christ is going to come back. Not only when he comes claims his bride, not only is he going to come take his bride when he comes back, he is going to come back and rid the earth of everything else that is evil. And he is not going to do it lightly. He is going to bring an army with him. And he is going to clean house. He is going to not just claim his people, he is going to redeem his people. And there's a story that points us to this, and it's a story we all know. It's the story of Moses and the Exodus. God had a people, just like he has a church, and they followed after him, just like we follow after him. But through the course of events, through the course of history, they ended up enslaved in a foreign land with foreign rulers with horrible things going on around them and God sent someone in to redeem them to bring them out of that and to bring them into a place of freedom and in the process as we all know he also did a little wiping out of the Egyptians their firstborn were, were, were taken away from them. Their army was destroyed. And that is just a small picture of what we're going to see. Because you see, we, we think we're, we belong here. We think we fit in here in Iroquois County, here in Cisna Park in Milford. We, we think we fit in, but we don't. 
We are just like the Israelites, captives, slaves in a strange land, surrounded by things that aren't what God would have for us. And there is great hope in the future because he is going to sweep in and pull us out of that and destroy it. And to me, that is an amazing picture of Christ as a redeemer, as someone who is going to rescue us from what we're in. Then we're going to skip a little over to chapter 21. We're actually going to skip chapter 20. Um, Not that there's not good stuff in there, but I just want to get to some pictures of who Christ is. In chapter 21, verse 5, and it says, He who is seated on the throne said, once again, he who is seated on the throne is Jesus, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am going to make all things new. To me, it's, it's really cool because when we talk this whole series about Christmas past, Christ past, Christ present, and Christ future, these words, I'm going to make all things new, it is done, they, we see them in Christ's past, in Christ's present, and in Christ's future. In Christ's past, if we look at the original creation, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, I am the beginning and the end, Christ says here. In the beginning, we, we see in Genesis that Christ, all things were made through Christ. All things were made through Christ. And then at the end of six days, it says God rested because it was good. He was done. We see God creating and then it being done. Then when we see Jesus at the cross, what does Jesus say when he's about ready to die? It is finished. His work on the cross was finished. And what comes out of that work? We can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, out of his work on the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When Christ finished in Genesis, creation was done. When Christ finished on the cross, we were newly created. We had the opportunity to be new creations. In the future, When Christ finishes at the end, all will be recreated. Because here's the thing. Though we have been saved, and though we have been recreated, I know you all know, the rest of this world that we live in is still a mess. 
There's still sickness. There's still war. There's still poverty. And all of those are results of the first sin that have just trickled through the world around us. And we, though we've been, we are new creations inside, we still long for the rest of the world to be recreated. We long for our loved ones not to get sick. We long for our loved ones to be with us forever. We long for no more anger. We long for no more war. We long for no more corruption. And in the end, it says, not just you will be new creations. I will recreate everything. I will make all things new, Jesus said. He has always been in the business of creating and finishing. And so that we have the hope to look forward to, that all things will be made new. And the last thing that I see a picture of here, it's been a long Christmas weekend, hasn't it? How many of you are tired? How many of your kids are tired? There are so many good things to do. Spend time with family, spend time with friends. Um, I remember going on missions trips and there's so many good things to do. But you get home and you're exhausted. You can't keep that pace up for weeks, months. Your body can't do it. There's not enough energy in the world to do it. But Jesus says uh, in the second half of verse 6, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Then if you skip over to verse, chapter 22, says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with all its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were healing for the nations. Here's the picture. In the middle of this new creation that Christ just created, he is going to put this, I, can't, I don't even know what the river looks like. When I think of big rivers, I think of the Mississippi. But it's going to be this incredible river through the middle of, this, of his new creation. And there's going to be this tree that not only grows on the banks of the, tr- of the river, that straddles the river. It is that big. And from it, we will have life. We will have our source of energy for all time. It says, oh man, I'm missing it. It says at one point, it says at one point, I'm missing it, it's in chapter 21, 
I'm sure, that there won't even be any need of a sun or moon anymore. Because just having Christ in our presence, just having Christ around, will be enough light for everything we need. The picture I see here is that Christ will be our source. He will be our source for everything, for all of eternity. He'll be our source of light. He'll be our source of energy. He'll be our source of life. He will be all we need to be sustained, to do all that we want to do, to do all that he desires us to do for all of eternity. Won't it be nice to know not only will you never be sick again, you'll never be tired again, you'll never run out of time again, you'll never be pressed for time again. He will be the source of everything. And he kind of told us that already. And he says that though that's going to be fully fulfilled in the future when he comes back, that we have that opportunity right now. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to meet the Father except through me. He said he's the way. He's the path to follow. He said he's the truth, that he is the right righteousness. He is what is true. But he also said he is the life. All that sustains us. I know that we think that we have to eat and sleep and all those kind of things and work out and all those kind of things. To, and I'm not saying don't do those things. You know? I know. But I know we think we need to do those things to be healthy and fit and to be with, you know, to be around for, and to have energy. But the truth is, he is our life. He is our life. You can fast for a week and he can sustain you. Food, man does not live on bread alone, the scripture says. He is our life. So in the future, the Jesus that I hope, though we were just in Advent for him, his birth, I hope our entire lives are an advent, are awaiting for his future coming. In the future, Jesus will be our groom. Jesus will be our redeemer. Jesus will be our creator. And Jesus will be our source. I want you to think about those things. And I want you to think about them in this way. Guys, salvation is just our beginning with our life with Christ. When we are saved, it is not the end. It's kind of like the engagement. I gave Shannon a ring and asked her to be my bride a year and a half, right, before we were married? Is that right? Yeah, a year and a half before we were married. That whole time was a time of preparation. Just because we were engaged doesn't mean we're done. 
Think of Christ as our, as our bride, as our groom, who's coming, who's engaged us, and is coming back to get us. Also think of Christ, though he's made us personally new, now, in the future, he's going to make our entire community new. And remember that eternal life takes a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot to live through all of eternity. And... Like I said, I'm not telling you not to work out, not to eat right, but none of that is going to get you through eternity. But Christ and his word is what will sustain us through all of eternity. So as we wait, as we hopefully don't end our Advent season, but live lives of waiting, I pray that our future will not be hopeless like Bob Cratch, like uh, Scrooge's, but that ours will be filled with all this hope that Christ has promised us. Let's pray. Lord, you have offered us so much already. You have done so much in our past and in our present. And Lord, sometimes I think we feel ashamed to ask or even anticipate more. Sometimes we feel like it's enough and that's all we need. But Lord, I pray that we would look to the future with weighted breath, that we would look to you as our source, and that we would see that you have so much more to fulfill in us, and that you look forward to claiming your bride. In your name we pray, amen.
give you this. Go in the peace and the love of Christ. <laughs> 